last time we were together, we were talking about, and we're Joshua chapter number 7. Joshua, hey guys, this is 53 messages into Joshua. We're killing it. We're already to Joshua 7, so we are doing awesome. There's only 24 verses or chapters, so we're in good shape. Um, so what was interesting is like the last time we met, we were in a message that was called No More Hiding. That was from Joshua chapter 7, verses 16 through 19. And what we saw there was we really had a front row seat to how God was taking the instructions that he had given to Joshua about how to root out sin. And Joshua had gathered the people to systematically reveal who was guilty. And in that setting, we noticed this correlation between what was happening with Joshua and what's going to happen with the Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming. First, we took a look at the judge's arrival. And we looked at the fact that Joshua, who's a picture of Christ, an Old Testament picture, he would arrive at the dawning of a new day. And we talked about this day of the Lord, which is coming for when the Lord will return to this earth and judge humanity. And what we also noticed was the fact that not only had God called him to be judge, but God also authorized him to be judge. And then we looked at the similarity between Achan and those people who believe that they are, who are saved, who are not. We looked at Achan, the fact that Achan portrayed himself as a faithful soldier of God. He was right in the mix with everybody else. Even while he was doing that, he was in defiance of God. And we compared, as I said, that to those people that believe they're born again, through their religious affiliation or through their religious service when in fact they are not. Because what happens, they're trusting their service instead of their sanctification unto Christ. And what we'll find is the fact that these people have fooled themselves. They've deceived themselves. Or deceived themselves just as Achan deceived himself that he was going to get away with it. And what we'll find is the fact that when these people who believe they're saved, who are not, who are simply religious, when they do stand before the Lord, what's going to happen? Their righteous judge is going to reveal to them the fact that they are not who they say that they are. In Matthew 7, 22-23, we saw this as Jesus confronted this thought. He said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, this is Jesus, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And we talked about the fact that the spotlight was going to narrow, where the guilty are going to be separated from the innocent. With Achan, he was separated out of thousands and thousands of soldiers and pulled out. He lost his anonymity. He was on his ability to hide. And guess what? The very same is going to be true for those who are playing the role of Christian but are not truly saved. There's going to come a day when that, their identity is going to be revealed. These people that never truly possessed Christ. And just like Achan, they will stand right in front of their judge. And he will ensure that the guilty are identified. And in that horrific moment, what's going to happen is those that have been living alive will experience the terrifying truth that, guess what? They're going to stand accountable before the God of justice. Now, not because God doesn't love them, because he does love them. He's offering salvation and restoration to every single person, even today. But it's because he's a good judge. And the good judge keeps the law. And what we saw also is the fact that Joshua, a picture of the righteous judge, he's going to confront Achan face to face as deception was confronted. And as we looked in that scripture, what we saw is the fact that here in this deeply personal moment, Joshua's going to be looking face to face with Achan. And for those people that will stand before the Lord one day, it's going to be a face to face interaction. We're going to look directly into the eyes of the Lord. And what's going to happen in that moment is the fact that here the judge is going to look into their eyes and what's going to happen is there are those that have been found guilty, those that are, that are truly guilty, they're going to stand as defendants, no longer uh, able to hide what it is they've done. And as they look into his eyes, what's going to happen is they're going to come to grips 
with the life that they've lived. They're going to come to grips with the reality of the fact that they can no longer dodge or no longer pretend. There will come a time when they're going to stand there. They're going to come to grips with not only what it is they've done, but the penalty that's attached to that sin. That's the awful truth. And the fact is also, they're going to take responsibility for what it is that they've done. And so as we go back into our story, that's kind of where we're going to be with Achan. That's what we're going to witness with him today. So his cautionary tale, what's going to happen is he's going to, stop, he's going to finally stop hiding what it is he's done. And he's going to finally come clean. This morning, we're going to see him give first an admission of guilt. Then he's going to follow that by explaining why he did what he did. He's going to go, okay, I did it, yes. But then he's going to give us this is the reasoning behind it. He said it's going to tell us that it was fueled by the lust of the eyes. It's fueled by the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And this message this morning is titled Sin Confessed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for loving us in spite of ourselves. Thank you, God, for the gathering uh, of these people. Thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord, I do pray. I thank you so much for speaking to me uh, in this scripture. I, Lord, uh, know that you've spoken to me. I'm asking you to speak through me, uh, Lord, that I might disappear, that the human element of this message would be removed. Lord, I can bring nothing but trouble to this message, but God, if I can get out of the way, you can do something mighty. So I thank you for this opportunity. And I pray that, Lord, please uh, empower me to get out of the way, that you might speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so just as a refresher, we're going to pick back up since we've had a, week, a week's break. So the very, where, where did Joshua leave us? In Joshua seven nineteen, it says, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Now take note, while Achan is making confession unto Joshua, notice the fact that he is actually making confession unto God. Notice what it says. Give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him you are confessing to God and tell me now what thou hast done so remember what we see pictured here is this is humanity's ultimate accountability to God Achan is a representation of all those who will reject God's grace and stand accountable for their sin before their righteous judge and so as Achan stands here now what's going to happen is the fact that he is going to respond to Joshua's request and that's what we're going to hear in verses 20 and 21 here goes Achan speaking And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So finally, Achan is speaking up. And as we mentioned in past messages, the problem is it's it's too little too late. His time to make things right has come and gone. God told the Israelites, with Achan included in verse Joshua 7.13, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. Here's your chance. Get right with God. Here you go. you got one more day. And we know that Achan refused. He remained silent. So now, standing face to face with Joshua, having been called out out of all of the people, called out by name, pointed out, and standing there by himself with everyone looking on, what's happened is Achan's facade of deception has crumbled away. And he stands fully exposed for the thief and the rebellious man that he is, as he finally now makes an admission of guilt. Verse 20 says this, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Now, did you catch that there's a little bit of an attitude imparted in this? In the word indeed. 
He says, indeed, right? Now, indeed, I had to look this up because I don't really know how to explain things, but indeed is used here as an adverb, and it's used to emphasize a statement or response confirming something already suggested. So that's the way someone smart would respond. The way I thought about it, what does Scooby-Doo? That's the way I imagine, immediately thought. You ever watch Scooby-Doo? Who's ever seen Scooby-Doo? Okay, so you know in Scooby-Doo, they always have like Vilma and whatever. Well, Vilma and uh, Pete, what's the name? What are their names? Daphne and the other guy. Not Shaggy, the smart guy, the, the blonde haired guy. Fred. Fred, okay. So they would always kind of have these inklings of what they thought had gone on, right? So they're going, okay. So what'll happen is they'll always come this moment when they go, we believe it was old man Smithers. And they point over right here. And then they go over and they pull off the mask and shut. And indeed, it was. Right? <laughs> That's what's going on here. This is like, you know what? And what is he exactly? Yeah, y'all yeah, got me. Busted. I'm caught. And that's the situation here. Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. You guys thought I was guilty. Guess what? It's true. I tried to hide it, but I'm busted. And listen, what was interesting about this, we don't notice any remorse in the way he deals with this. We don't hear a broken heart. We don't hear a man who's, who's hurt because he betrayed God. No, not at all. I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. Notice in the wording there. Doesn't that tell us a little something there? Listen to the way he refers to God. I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. Achan does not identify the Lord as his or as our God. He says, the God of Israel. Referencing this a formality to their relationship or absence thereof. Achan does not feel accountable. See, what's happening here is we compare this. Now we think about the way Achan's responding. Now compare that to the way David responds. After David knows that he's broken David's, God's heart, after he knows that what he's done, and he's, he's riddled with guilt and pain and sorrow and sadness over the way it impacts God. And listen to what he says in, in uh, Psalm 51.4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Whatever you need to do to me, guess what I know? I deserve it. I deserve it. I let you down, God. I broke your heart. And what we notice here is the fact that David is brokenhearted about how his sin impacts his God. This is the difference. Achan is only concerned or upset because he got caught. He was not going to say a word. The Bible defines these two things, this two way of seeing uh, responsibility. One is godly sorrow, and the other is the sorrow of the world. We would call it guilt. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 through 11, explain it to us. It says, Now I rejoice not. Now recognize what's happening in Corinth, okay? Corinth is a city that is, uh, it's got a lot of Greek influences. There's a lot of things going on in this city that are not good. And what's happened is the people in Corinth have fallen prey to the culture that's around them. So they've gotten off course. And David, or David, Paul has come back in and he has just been kind of ripping into them, straightening them out, right? And so as he's redirecting them and getting them focused back on God, now what happens is they repent. They go, whoa, we're wrong. And they respond in kind. So this is what he says in, in response to, their, to the way they respond and the way that they feel. He says, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. Look, I'm not glad that you're hurt, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. He says, look, you guys, you're not guilty with us. Look, we, we don't have anything against you. You've made things right. You've recognized you're wrong. Verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. See that? So one worketh to repentance unto salvation and one worketh to death. 
And we look at, here's Achan, who's getting ready to face death. Guess what Achan has? He has the sorrow of the world. Sorrow of the world does not work to salvation. It works to death. Achan pictures those that stand in defiance of God. Listen, they're not concerned about how their sin impacts their Creator. That's not their issue. Their issue is the fact that how their sin has now impacted them. How they feel. It's about a personal, a personal aspect of this. Their desire for themselves. The sorrow of the world is not concerned about how their sin impacts God. It's about how it impacts them. That's a big, big difference. Think about it like this. We go to a store, and the person behind the counter is just a knucklehead. Everything we ask them to do, they do it wrong, they're slow, they're on their phone, and we're just frustrated. And you know what? After a little while, we're just like, you know what? Hey, you know what you need? And we just rip into them. Now, how many of us have ever wanted to do that? Probably all of us. Yes, I would say, don't raise your hand. I know y'all have wanted to do it. <laughs> we get frustrated, right? Some of us have done it. And then we go and we get in our car and we're driving home and we feel awful. Oh, why did, why did I say what? I, 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 I shouldn't do it. I, I, I. But let's say you didn't say anything. Let's say you just thought it and you held your tongue and you're like... Good for me. But you get in the car. And in the car with no one else there, you just sort of voice it out. I should have said. Rah, rah, rah. Do you have a lot of guilt about that? No. You don't feel bad at all. Because you're like, hey, nobody heard it. Because you know what it comes down to It is this. If we said it out loud in front of people, what it is, now they've changed their view of us. It becomes personal. But when no one hears it, doesn't affect the way that people see me. I don't need to feel guilty. I don't feel bad at all. I'm not worried about it in the least. See, that's where most of us stand. That's earthly accountability. If we live our lives based upon earthly accountability, listen to this, you cannot be saved if that's the way you live your life. Because understanding there is a heavenly accountability to God. And guess what? It doesn't matter if anyone hears it or not. It doesn't matter. If you're in your car by yourself and you say it, guess who does hear it? God hears it and he knows our heart. So when I understand what happens, Achan is functioning in this rebellious state. And what happens for many of us is we live in that state as well. Achan literally is a picture of those, the path of the lost person who will face death, while David is a picture of the path of the saved. What do we see with David? It's this accountability to God. He's not worried. He says, he says against you have I said, I'm not worried about what anyone else thinks. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm worried about what you think of me. I'm worried about the way you see me, Lord. Godly sorrow worketh to repentance. Godly sorrow is completely different than guilt. It's all about that accountability to God, a recognition of our accountability to Him. See, we're brokenhearted because of the way that affects our relationship with Him. It's our brokenheartedness over that failure that brings us to our knees before the Lord. If we revisit that same occurrence, that same situation when we're in the store and the knucklehead's there and we're working with them, we're like, ah, and we say nothing and we get in the car. And we don't even say anything, but we just sit there and run through our mind what we should have said and why they were so wrong and what we should have just... Oh. And if we're really walking closely with the Lord, guess what will happen? You will feel godly sorrow. Because you go, you know what, Lord? I should have been more concerned with their soul than it was about how it impacted me. But I'm so full of myself that I couldn't even see it. I allowed my frustration, my anger in this moment to blind me of the reason why I'm here. 
This person's life, who knows what they're going through? Maybe they just lost their mom. Maybe they lost something and if something they just who knows what's going on in their life? We don't know. And what happens with us is see we can only judge the outside. We only see the outside of people. And what God's trying to tell us is, hey, look, you know what? I see the inside. I see the heart of man. And understand what happens. If we were in that situation and we had that godly sorrow, man, it says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. See, godly sorrow is what it takes to be saved. It's what brings us before the Lord. Because we recognize the fact that, hey, we see our sin the way God sees our sin. We understand the fact that, listen, our sin is a failure in following Him. And then what happens is we, after we get saved... When we finally trust in the Lord and we, we come to Him by faith and we become a child of God, what happens through our ever-evolving relationship with Him? We understand that the way we, that our, the way we live our lives, the choices and the things that we choose to do, that impacts, they impact the heart of God. It impacts our relationship, our intimacy with God. And notice this as he continues in 2 Corinthians 7, 11. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, okay, because of the fact that you had godly sorrow, Notice, this is what happened. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You've made yourself right with God. You've redirected yourself. You've shown yourself to be accountable to God and His standards. You're not worried about what man thinks. You're worried about what God thinks. And this is so key. This is how we must live our lives. And because of that, Paul's telling him, listen, you guys are living boldly for the glory of God because of what happened in this godly sorrow. Praise the Lord. Listen, we're not always going to be on track. We're not always going to do things right. But if we allow godly sorrow to redirect us and put us back on our knees before the Lord and dependent upon God, God can do great things in our lives. If you're off course right now, man, fall before the Lord with godly sorrow and allow Him to restore you. That's the desire God wants to use our lives. And we're the, we're the thing that slows things down. We're the thing that gets in the way. God wants to do great and mighty things in your life, and we are the one reason why He cannot. God wants to break through the walls of the lies that we tell ourselves. Recognize the fact that, listen, you and I, we should be living boldly for the glory of God every single day. That's what we're called to do. And what happens, right? Now, we have to ask ourselves, are we living boldly for the glory of God? Or is our faith many times hidden because we're more concerned with what people think than what God thinks? We've all been in situations where we looked at someone in the face and we thought, not this time. It's happened to me more times than I could count. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. Because we're prone to follow our, cell, or follow our flesh. And what happens is the fact that God wants us to live a life that glorifies Him. And there's a huge difference between godly sorrow and guilt. What we see coming from Achan is, uh, is not godly sorrow. We see the sorrow of the world. He only speaks up after he gets caught. Right? Notice that Joshua doesn't even record Achan's description of his sin. How did he describe it? Joshua's the one that records this. And thus and thus have I done. That's the way Joshua writes it. And thus and thus have I done. He doesn't give it to us. You know why? Because it's not really relevant. 
What he actually did is not so much what's relevant. What's relevant is the heart of the man behind it. Okay, that's the key. Ecclesiastes 9.3 says this, This is an evil among all things. Notice this. All things that are done under the sun. Everything. All sin. And there is one event, even unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart. While they live, and after that they go to the dead. Achan lived in defiance of God even to the very end of his life. There will be no sign of repentance within him at all. Because guess what? He had a rebellious heart. And we know that Achan made a conscious choice to remain defiant to God in spite of knowing what was to wait, what was awaiting himself and his family. God had warned him what would come. He never had a heart of submission before the Lord. Notice he never asked for forgiveness. And he never says he's sorry. Defiant to the end. In fact, the very next thing that he does, after what he says, is justify why he did what he did. He's going to explain his why. Now, as a side note, your why, not very relevant. Don't really care. You do something wrong to me, I'm not so worried about the fact that you tell me why you did it. Well, I just thought you wouldn't care. No, I don't care about that. But the fact that you know that it's wrong, that's an important part of it. So God understands. He wants us to recognize the fact that what we've done is wrong. The important aspect of this is realizing the fact that as we give our why, all that is is simply a justification of why it is we've chosen to do what we do. And can I tell you this? There is never a justification for defying God. And yet, that's exactly what Achan does next. He tells us his why. This is why I did what I did. And he kind of gives us the root of why this rebellion took place in his life. And what's interesting is as we recognize this, throughout all time, all defiance of God, it all kind of falls into these same three parameters. Let's look at it in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we see that the lure of the world, which is defiance of God, will appeal to our eyes, our flesh, and our pride. Our eyes, our flesh, and our pride. We will either choose God's way or we will choose the world or self. Okay? So when it comes down to it, in submission to God, there are no gray areas. There isn't partial submission. We're either giving over to God or we're giving over to self. And we all, because we live in a life of gradients, we live in a life where it's like, you know, you can be kind of good, kind of bad, you know, and nobody wants to judge anybody for their whatever. And I'm not, we're not judging people's souls, we're judging their actions. We can certainly judge people's actions. But understand this, the fact that, listen, God's saying, look, I need you to choose. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Whom you will serve. Right? That's what Joshua's going to wrap up the book of Joshua. But what we see here is the fact that this is a lure to the world. And we will either choose to honor ourselves or we will choose to honor God. Do you remember whenever Jesus was talking to the disciples and he was explaining to them when it came to following him what it was going to require? Remember back in Luke 9.23 said this, he said this, He said to them all, if any man will come after me, right? What does he say? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let him deny himself. Deny his desires in order to fulfill my desires. Totally different than the way the world sees things now. 
So in order to truly honor God, we were to choose to follow His desire for our lives, not ours. And what happens is, here's it comes down to it. Every day we're going to choose. Am I choosing God or am I choosing me? Who's in charge? Who's on the throne of my life? Is it the Lord of my life or am I the Lord of my life? The Lord of my own domain. The world teaches us that we are to be the Lord of our life. But the Bible tells us it's the exact opposite. Put Christ as the Lord of your life. Next, Achan will describe to us the next influence. Okay, His influence, which was the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Check this out. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, a really awesome looking shirt, and 200 shekels of silver, big chunk of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels of weight. Big chunk of gold, big chunk of silver, and a really sweet shirt. Man. Now, what we notice right away, notice this. From the very beginning, Achan is allowing his desires to guide him. Okay? Even though he was warned that everything in Jericho was off limits. They were not to touch anything. All treasure in Jericho is off limits. Here are your parameters to function within. Hello? Here are your parameters to function within. This is what you are to stay within. But instead of allowing those instructions to guide him, Achan allows his selfish desires to, desire, to, drive, to drive him. Immediately. Not only does he allow what he sees to impact him, but also he indulges his imagination. Ooh, did you see that shirt? Man, that's a good chunk of gold. I could probably tuck that right in here, put the silver back here, tuck this, right? He's thinking about it. He's indulging himself. He's indulging his imagination. He's already seeing this. And understand, this is how the lure of sin works in so many people's lives. This is how it starts. This is how sin entered into the world, by the way, by way of the eyes. What happened in Genesis 3, 6? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And it's always interesting the fact that he's with her. He's standing right there. It's like she did it over in a bush and was came back and we go, oh, I got this uh, piece of fruit I want you to try. No, he's standing right there and he allows her to do it. You see, Eve was not only indulging in the serpent by allowing him to influence, influence her, but she also indulged her imagination. She looked and she saw that and she said, man, can you imagine? All the things that the serpent said to her, and she's like, it's running through her mind. She's allowing what she sees to affect the way that she thinks. This is the subtlety of the way it works. And in just Achan and in Eve, we see two examples of people that what they see draws them to sin. Think about David, right? What happened to David? He was up on the mountain, on the mountaintop, on the rooftop, and he looks, and he sees Bathsheba. But then he looks away, and then he, then he lingers. Then he lusts, right? So it's this progression takes place. But understand, if we're walking, if we're not walking with God, that's what happens to us. We get drawn to sin. But what's really cool is if you're walking with God, your eyes can draw you to godliness. They can draw you to godliness. Listen to this. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, at this point in time in, in, in Israel, what's happened is the, the, the place is a, is a shambles. The people are, are pulled away from God. They're struggling. They don't have relationships with Him. And they're, they're going through all this tribulation and all this strife. And Jeremiah looks out upon them in Lamentations 3.51. And listen to what he says. Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. I am broken hearted over what I see and it draws me to make a difference. It draws me to want to make a change. When Jesus walks and He sees the people, 
that don't have a relationship with Him, that are wandering, that are like sheep without a shepherd. He's heartbroken and burdened over them. He has compassion upon them because He said, look, they need to know the love of God. Listen to what it says in Mark 6.34. And Jesus, when He came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd and began to teach them many things. So our eyes can draw us to sin, but I guess they can also draw us to righteousness. They can draw us to action. They can draw us to God. You see, the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we allow what we see to burden us for the things of the world, things we want, or we allow our eyes to burden us to service unto God? If we see the world the way God does, it draws us to service. If we see the world the way man does, it'll draw us to sin. We must make sure to be careful. We'll be drawn to sin or drawn to service. What determines the answer is whose will we're seeking to fulfill. If it's seeking to fulfill God's will, I'll be drawn to service. If it's to seek my will, guess what? We'll be drawn to sin. Next, Achan shares with us the lust of the flesh. Then I coveted them and took them. And it's here that Achan's desire to become, or his desires uh, became a reality. As what he saw fed into his imagination, he started to picture himself possessing these things. And the next thing you know, he's tucking some stuff in his armor and he's sliding this down inside of his underwear or whatever he's doing. I don't know what they wore, but he's tucking it somewhere. It's hidden. Nobody saw it. So what happens is now it's become his possession. And we look at this and we go, okay, many people will consider that that's the point in time where sin actually takes place. Look, he was just looking before. But it wasn't really, uh, wasn't really a sin until he, until he took the stuff. But you need to realize the fact that that's not the way God sees it. Okay? Right. The sin actually takes place with the desire. Okay? Right. The lust, the desire that's within the person. See, Jesus explains to us this principle in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 28. He says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, you and I can only judge people based upon what they do physically. We would only be able to judge adultery when that was taking place. But God says, hey, look, when you're ready to go, when your lust is to the point in time where you're ready to take action, you've already done it as far as I'm concerned. You are guilty. So Achan was guilty before he ever picked the stuff up. Based upon what we see, right? It's so much of what we see can impact us. And then literally, it's counted as sin. Listen to James 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Notice, and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And what we see with Achan is a progression from simply looking. Because listen, you can't affect what you see, right? Uh, you see something you should not be looking at. You turn on your phone, you're like, ah! Whoa, sorry. Ouch, that was my bad. You freak out, right? You're like, whoa. The problem is, it's not seeing it. It's when you look again, right? David's problem wasn't seeing Bathsheba. David's problem was he couldn't stop looking at Bathsheba. How do men get drawn into pornography? Not because it pops up on the phone or it pops up in their computer. Because they choose to go back and they allow it to take control of them. Then it becomes a sin, we cannot control what we see, but we control what we continue to look at or what we go looking for. Because it is the heart. It is the heart. 
lusting. What happened with Achan? He progressed from simply looking to lusting to coveting to finally taking. And again, as I said, we cannot see people inside of people's hearts, but God absolutely can. He looks straight into the heart of man. And you may hide it from everybody else, but just like when you're in the car and you had all those wicked thoughts, guess what? God hears it. And if you're struggling with sin right now and you go, look, I have not done anything. I haven't done it. But you've imagined it over and over and in your mind. Guess what? You're accountable. You're accountable to God. Listen, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. When, when Samuel was sent out to go find the king, and he went to the, to the family of Jesse, and Jesse's bringing all of his big strapping boys, and they're like, dun, 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 and he's going, man, this guy, look at this guy. He's a, he's a beast. Look at the shoulders on this. Look at that, look at that jawline. Man, that guy's, he's got to be the king. And so Samuel's trying to pick the king, and he's doing looking on him, and God's like, nope, nope, nope. And, they, and he's just like, What? And he ends up with this ruddy boy, David, just a kid. But what does God tell him in 1 Samuel 16, 7? And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, don't look on the outside, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. That's the key. The Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That boy has the heart of a king. That's what I'm concerned with. And see, God's looking at us. He's looking at our hearts. You can do all the service you want. You can show up and be as faithful as you want to be. But listen, if your heart is wrong, there's an issue with you and God. You've got to get things right. Deal with it. Address it. Make it right. Recognize the fact that what does God see in Achan's heart? He sees an idolater. He sees an idolater. He says, then I coveted them. What does God tell us about coveting in the Bible? Colossians 3.5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetous. And here's the definition, which is idolatry. You're an idolater. Sorry, I don't know what word I was going to use there. An idolater. Idolatry. That means that you esteem something above God. That's all it means. What do we esteem over God? In essence, we're worshiping it. And we see this with Achan. He's seeing the treasures of Jericho. And he says, you know what? I value the treasure more than I treasure or value the word of God. Because he knows what he's supposed to do. And in that moment, as he's holding that gold, I know what God said. But this, this is going on with me. I choose that over God. And listen, by seeking to place something over God, we literally make it an idol. And if we relate this phenomenon to you and I today, and we look in our lives, we correlate this to God's command for us to abstain from the world. And interestingly enough, Jericho just happens to be a picture of the world. Interesting. Here we go. We're supposed to seek God and not the world. The instructions are here in the Bible. 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? So he's saying reject the world and its lure. Don't love it. Right? Don't idolize it. Don't place it, prioritize it over me. No, no, no. Don't do that. What should I do, Lord? What instructions are you giving me? When I'm looking at the world, what am, where, where should my heart be? Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first. 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, all that stuff that you're worried about, all those things you're concerned with, guess what? All these things shall be added unto you. He is to be the first in our lives. Not some of the time, not when it's convenient. All of the time. He should always be prioritized above everything else in our life. The question we have to ask ourselves is this, what am I or what do I prioritize over God? We have to search our hearts and be honest with ourselves. Listen, is it social media? For a lot of people, that's an addiction. They can't get off it. It controls their time. Time they could give to God, they will absolutely gladly give to social media. Their personal entertainment, food. Who people are, I mean, I'm a foodie, I love food. But listen, things like this, there's nothing wrong with these things. They're not sins. But when they become prioritized over God, they become sinful. They become idols in our life. Family. Family, that's a big one. My kids, man, my kids above everything else. That's idolatry. My wife, over anything else, that's idolatry. You are to have God first in every aspect of your life. That's That's not easy to do. And what happens? What about sports? Oh, man, you know, the game's on Sunday. You know, I mean, dude, once a year, this is game of all games, man. I mean, if if there's a day to miss church, this is the day. Right? Hey, if you've got to miss church, you've got to miss church. I understand. But listen, we have a choice. If it's our personal choice to say, you know what? If it's serving God or serving me, I'll serve me. We just slipped into idolatry. Unfortunately, it happens to us almost every day. You know what? I was going to spend time in the Word. Yeah, I was watching the... I got on Facebook and this video clicked up and that led me to another video. I was like, man, that was so interesting. I got to go. Prioritize God above everything else. Because idolatry is something that we're very prone to as humans. It's super, super easy for us. There's a show on TV called American Idol. And people in the media are idolized by people. They know who they're married to and what their kids are named and what their favorite color is and all kinds of stuff that I don't know why they know it, but they know it. (laughs) They can tell you where they got married, what their favorite food is, what they, where they had their honeymoon. They can tell you all kinds of stuff about these people's lives. And you go, well, let's talk a little bit about the Word. And they're like, ah, that's, have, you ever read, have you ever read the Bible? That is, I mean, that's, uh, that's, I mean, I, but you can tell me all about Jennifer Aniston's clothing. I don't know. See, we waste our time studying things that don't make a, a hill of beans. They don't mean anything here or in heaven. And what we think is important here doesn't mean anything to God. And what, what means something to God, we don't think is important here. And I can tell you, when we stand before the Lord on that day, we'll be so sorry for the time we wasted on stupid, inane garbage that don't mean a hell of beans and doesn't have any impact on eternity other than people missing out on hell, missing out on heaven because we're so busy being occupied with ourselves. God's called us to be so much more. Then Achan gets to the pride of life. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So why did Achan hide what he'd done? Why does anybody hide their sin? Yep. Shame. Shame. Proverbs are John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light 
Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Whoa! Ouch! Lest his deeds should be reproved. See, it's much easier to hide what we do wrong than it is to come clean about what we do. Give you a prime example. When I was about nine years old, I was outside of our house. I used to live in the country. Nothing to do. No neighbors. My closest, my dearest friend was 81 years old. That was my play, playmate. He lived down behind us. So we live in the middle of nowhere. And I'm outside one day and I've got a basketball. You know, and I'm just throwing the basketball in the air and I've got nothing else to do. And I look over on the table. Now there's this gravel lot behind my house and in this gravel lot there's a, kid, there's a table sitting right in the middle, of the, ta- uh, the middle of the gravel lot. And there's this pretty little vase sitting on that table. And I was like... I wonder if I could hit that base from here. Maybe. Boosh! Nailed it. I mean, just blew it in a million pieces. I just crushed it. And I was like, ah, yes! And I go over, and I get the glass, and I work it into the gravel. Make sure it all disappears. And I go in the house, and I go get myself a mixed glass of water. I leave the basketball on the porch. I'm sitting drinking water. My mom's like, David? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, do you know what happened to my vase that was on the table? I was like, no, ma'am. And she's like, that's funny. I just thought she smashed it with a basketball. I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Man, getting caught stinks. Being a cow before you do stinks. I chose to just randomly smash that vase. That was me. But the thing is, what happens? None of us like to stand accountable. We don't like to admit when we've done something wrong. And that's exactly where he stands right here. Pride drives justification. I could have given her all kinds of reasons of why I destroyed that vase, but guess what? It doesn't make a big difference. I still did it. The reason Achan did what he did, listen, he's telling us why. But listen, not because he wanted to, because he's in a situation that he's forced to. I admitted I'd done something wrong because I was caught. How many of us like to admit when we're wrong? None of us. Why? Pride. Pride, pride, Pride. Pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That truth, man, that thing, that resonates throughout all time for all of humanity. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. It is pride that drives sin and sin separates us from God. Take note of what what Jesus says in John 3.19. Notice what he says here. We read the verse in a minute, but go look in this first part. John 3.19. And this is the condemnation. Okay? The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So when sin is exposed, guess what it does? It brings condemnation. If you see, this this is what's being pictured with Achan. It's... No one, uh, no one can keep their sin hidden. This is what God's trying to show us. Look, you're not going to get it over on anybody. There's coming a day when every single person will stand in condemnation for what it is they have done, the day of the Lord. And on that day, every single person who has ever lived will finally take ownership of their sin. They will stand before their judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will face condemnation for their, that they're due. They're going to face it and they're going to recognize that they deserve what they deserve. They're not going to be talking about how wrong it is that they're being accused of what they've been told that they've done. No. They'll own it. They'll know that they've done it. They're not going to complain 
about how they've been uh, mistreated or how unfair it is that they're going to be judged? No. No one will. No one will. You know why? Because they're going to understand that they deserve it. On that day, people will finally see their sin the way that God does. They'll finally see it the way He does. And they will accept their fate. Achan pictures it for us. Because if you notice, he does not plead for mercy. He never says a word. He doesn't complain about the punishment by fire that he and his family are going to face. He accepts his damnation. And there will come a day when people will stand before God and they will accept their damnation. You know why? Because they're going to recognize that their sin, see their sin for what it really is. What it really is. It's rebellion. It's nothing more than rebellion against a loving God who through entire existence, every moment of their existence, was calling them to repentance, was trying to draw them to truth, trying to save them from themselves, and yet they refused Him. And what they'll finally realize in that moment was that their punishment is not because God wants them to to be punished, not because He wants to hurt them. The whole time He was trying to save them, they'll finally realize that the reason why their punishment is there is because of their rejection of His love. That's why they won't complain. That's why they won't point fingers. That's why they'll accept it for what it is. Because you know what? They're going to know the responsibility of their damnation is on them. It's not God's fault. It's theirs. And listen, if you've received the gift of salvation, praise the Lord, man. You've already confessed your sins before the Lord. So this isn't for you. Because you know what happened in that moment? Not only did God forgive you, but He took the punishment (laughs) that we deserved. Man, how amazing is that? He's so much better to us than we ever, ever deserve. But listen, if you've not received Him, Or maybe you're in your Christian life right now. You're struggling with sin. And you know what? It's caused division between you and God. There's no better time than the present to make things right. Humble yourself before the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Him, man, you need to establish that relationship today. If you're here and you say, look, there's issues in my life. I'm struggling with sin. Then guess what? You need to reestablish that relationship. Get the closeness and intimacy with God today. So we can use you. Remember, you're the thing. We're the thing that stops God from being able to work. we got to get out of the way. We know in our own hearts who it is we are. God already knows. He's just waiting for us to be admit, admit our fault. God knew all about Achan. And he had to push him so far that he would finally speak. Let's not pray that God, let's pray that God doesn't push you to a point in time where you have no choice. It's an opportunity to get right today. Pray for your brothers and sisters. You may not be struggling with this, but there may be someone here today or someone who's not here today who's in the midst of a struggle, a fight. Maybe they're resisting Christ's salvation. Pray for their souls. Listen, what we see should affect our hearts. If we're right with God, it'll draw us to service. If we're not right with God, it'll draw us to sin. We've got to be careful and recognize the fact that today, man, 
Today can be a day, a day where we finally deal with things. See, it can be a day where sin remains hidden. No doubt. Choice is up to us. But it can also be a day when we finally come to a point where sin is confessed. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. We need to get out of our own way so that he can do something great. If you feel like, you know what, I just feel like something's holding me back. If you're being resistant, just give in. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you, man. God wants to do something mighty in and through our lives. It's not through us becoming superhuman. It's through us just be simply surrendering to a superhuman God who loves us and has a purpose and a plan for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the time you've given us, for the word you've given us. Uh, Lord, I know these messages are hard, uh, Lord, and, uh, but God, I think they're so very important because we're all struggling at different levels uh, with the issues of this world trying to encumber us or hinder us. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters that are here today. Lord, I pray for uh, your healing hand to be upon us, to strengthen us, to draw us to truth. Lord, not that we would become uh, religious, but Lord, that we would become righteous. That's what you've called us to be. Lord, thank you so much for the work you're doing in our lives. And I pray, Father, that you guide and direct us. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, look, Pastor, I've got either myself or someone in my life that I know is struggling right now. And I need prayer. Pray for God to give me the words to say to them. Or pray for me to have the confidence and the wherewithal to stand before the Lord and just get honest and get real with Him. If you're here today and you say, Amen, I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, look, that's me. Pray for me. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, I need help. God is the healer, man. He can redeem and restore anybody. I'll pray for you, I promise. And if you're here today and you say, Look, I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, if you're lost... You know in your heart of hearts if you have a relationship with God. Talking about, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about some uh, religious ceremony or some kind of church membership. I'm talking about a true, honest relationship with God where you know, you know you've received Him as your Savior. But if you're here today and say, I don't have that, but I know I want it. Right now, He's calling you. He's calling you. If you're online and you're watching this, He's calling you. And all you need to do is respond. It doesn't take any work on your part. Jesus did the work on the cross. It is a matter of faith and faith alone. And if you will, by faith, call out to him, he will receive you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Again, it's not, the ma- it's not, it's not a magic words. There's no, there's no ceremony that's going to be done that's going to save you. It's your heart. Remember, God looks at the heart. And as he's calling you right now, all you need to do is respond. So their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ... In your heart, in your mind, just call out to Him. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's not the words, but it's your heart that God is listening to. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I am so sorry for my sin. I know that you love me. I believe that you died for me, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and you raised on the third day, taking the debt that was on my heart, on my life, and paying it. Right now, in the best way I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart. 
I'm asking you to come into my life and I'm asking you to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head